Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Commitment Matters. Well, for a change of pace today, and what we hope might be a little shot in the arm for you, today's guest is Andy Kaur, who is an author and national speaker focusing on the concepts of work-life balance, greater productivity, and well-being. I had the opportunity to see Andy speak recently at a conference, and what I love the most about his message is that he brings practical advice and a pragmatic approach to maximizing performance and satisfaction in all areas of your life. He helped us in the audience remember how to focus on the things that are meaningful to us and how to manage our daily lives in a way that makes setting and achieving our goals more likely. So whether you're listening for yourself or trying to help a son or daughter, maybe you have a friend who is trying to create sustainable motivation, or maybe it's your staff who you want to help move toward greater productivity and well-being, I really recommend Andy and his work to you. He has a BS in biology and an MS in human performance. He was voted one of the top 100 productivity experts to follow on Twitter. And he's the host of a PBS affiliate TV show called Fighting Fat. Oh, and he's written three books, including Mastering Your Body, Healthy Motivation, and my favorite, Change Your Day, Not Your Life. In our conversation, Andy takes on some of the biggest dragons of your day-to-day, including procrastination and junk hours. He has a functional and easy time management concept to share. And we discuss the question of which is more important, motivation or momentum. Andy demystifies that often frustrating feeling of, why don't I just do what I say I want to do? And he shows us how the smallest of changes over time are the types of changes that really have the most profound and lasting effects, rather than the, you know, tomorrow I'm just going to start living a whole new life kind of philosophy that, well, alluring is almost never successful. The psychology behind all of these concepts is fascinating. I could have talked with Andy for several hours, and I hope you'll enjoy my conversation with the enlivening and engaging Mr. Andy Core. Andy Core, welcome to Commitment Matters. We're so excited to have you here. Oh, thank you so much. It's great to be here. Well, I had the pleasure of seeing you speak a few weeks ago, and since then I've been down deep in your book. The one I've been down in is called Change Your Day, Not Your Life. I love that title. I love the content. I want to talk with you a lot about it. But before we start in on that, I'd like our listeners to get a chance to know you a little bit better. So if you'd share with us a little bit about your background, how did you come to study people and peak performers and stress. What happened there? So I actually got a master's degree in the human performance lab at the University of Arkansas. And so that lab was all about physical and mental performance. And so my research was on gender difference and stress response. So I did research on how men and women respond differently, how they respond to stress. I hooked people up to all these 12 lead EKGs, put them on a bike, put like did all these really stressful things to measure their stress response. And you know what I found out is that men and women are different. I've always been a researcher and a practitioner on what it takes to excel in stressful environments. And so since then, in the 1995, when I was doing that research, I have been focused on hardworking adults. And so for the last 25 years, I've been working with people just like the people at RamQuest, just like your customers, just like me, you know, all hardworking, conscientious adults. And so in that research and in that work and doing 1,200 presentations on almost every continent. I tell you, 
I've learned some commonalities that help people excel. Like what are the characteristics that help people thrive in a high demand job and a high demand life and, and what makes good people struggle. And I've had a lot of success helping people do that. And I put that into my latest book, like you mentioned, change your day, not your life. And that book is really just a manual on how you can change your daily thinking, daily patterns in a way that sets you up for sustained motivation. Well, let's get into it because we have a lot of listeners here in the title settlement industry that are have been so busy the past couple of years. You know, they were deemed essential workers. Real estate market was going crazy, as everyone is aware of. And so everybody's been trying to do more, needing to do more. And they've been kind of going at that pace for a long time. But in your book, you talk about we might not be setting ourselves up for success with the way we overall structure our day. Talk us through some of that. What do people experience? So this is a really interesting aspect of what makes people motivated and happy and what makes people struggle. And I tell you, I'll give you the example. So I was speaking at a conference and I finished and four people lined up to ask questions. The fourth person answered and left and I thought I was finished. And I turn around and a woman is standing right there. She's like, waited till everyone had left. And I was like, oh, hey, yes, ma'am. Can I help you? She goes, yes, you can, Andy. Sit down. I was like, oh, all right, spicy. Okay. So I sit down and she goes, Andy, I have no balance in my life. And I said, well, tell me what's going on. And she was like, well, I've recently had a promotion. So I've been doing my old job, my new job. I've just been really working really hard for the past four or five months. And it's starting to wear me down. I feel like my nails are brittle. I feel like my hair is falling out. I feel like I'm cranky with my kids. I was like, I get that. I see that all the time. And I looked down at her name tag and I said, Janet, listen, you heard my presentation. I know what's going on. And she goes, so you're saying my daily patterns, just the way that I think and live on a day-to-day basis, that's what I need to change. And every author has a story about when they came up with the title of their book. And this one is mine. I said, Janet, listen, you don't have to change your life but you do have to change your day. So I started laying out for her the daily changes that I know that based on her situation, what would really help. And I tell you, I met Janet two years later. She had lost 77 pounds. Her department was up 18% and she was working less. She actually was working 40 to 50 versus 60 to 70 hours a week. She took her first family vacation. She has five kids. So she took them all to Cancun. They hiked up and climbed the Chitza Nitsa Mayan temple and stood at the top and looked out. And like she goes, it was one of my best memories. And I never would have had that if I hadn't made these small changes. So I'll give you an example for Janet. Well, she would wake up and when the alarm would go off, the very first thought that she would think is, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard people also say that same sentiment with four letter words. (laughs) (laughs) What a way to start the day. In psychological research, we know of this thing called the primacy effect. And the first thing that you think, the first thing you do, the first thing you experience is what psychologists call a disproportionate salience on your behavior, which just basically means an irrationally strong effect. When we're in that situation, your very first thought of the day actually triggers a very strong momentum. And as you learn, I believe that motivation is really just momentum in disguise. So her first pattern was to hit the snooze, hit the snooze, peel herself off the sheets, rush, rush, go, go, cranky, hungry, moving, slams into the, I mean, it's just like 
when you're in a state like that, it really starts to build upon itself and it really is kind of difficult to overcome. So I was like, Janet, we need to start your day in the best possible way. Some of the solutions is help her identify what's a better way to mentally start your day. What are the systems that you can put in place that you do without really having to think about it in the morning that positions you to be at your best? What's the very first thing or first sequence of things you do when you land at work? Those little primacy moments are incredibly powerful. You mentioned the difference between motivation and momentum. And I think that that's so important to talk about because I think people a lot of times want to change. They're waiting for the motivation and they think once they have this motivation, then they can white knuckle it. And then they can accomplish all these things, even if they have to sort of fight themselves to do it. And invariably, people kind of come back to the same question, which is, I know what I need to do. Why don't I just do what I need to do? And I think the secret might be somewhere in that motivation versus momentum conversation. Mary, that's wonderful. I can tell you've been reading the book. That is the solution. Yeah, so I think that's probably the biggest question. Why don't I do what I know I should? The biggest question that hardworking, responsible, smart adults face. Because in my book, I call it the more with less paradox. And I think this may be a better answer to your last question, is that when hardworking people, they will sacrifice to do what must be done. Right. And that they should give themselves probably more credit than they do for that. But there's also a point of diminished return, because if you consistently sacrifice your personal emotional energy needs, your physical energy needs, your own fun needs, there's a certain point to where you start to start to feel resistance to doing the things that you know you should. In many cases, when people are thinking, God, why don't I do what I know I should? It usually comes down to one of four things. They're too tired. They don't really truly know and believe that this is truly meaningful. They don't really think they have enough people or support on their team. And they're just in a consistent pattern that sabotages them. So... If you wake up and your first thought is, oh no, and then you build this cycle of basically tripping through your whole day, and then you land at work and you're like, God, two o'clock, why don't I do what I know I should, you know, and then you land and then works off and you're thinking, maybe I should work out or maybe I should not. And I believe that the reason why your motivation is low in those moments, I mean, besides the fact that you're lower on energy, is the fact that your daily patterns have been pulling you down the whole day. Like I mentioned, I'm a big believer in identifying what are those little mini patterns that create sustained motivation. I don't know why we don't tend to think about the small changes, but we tend to think on the large scale, like big changes. A New Year's resolution, for example, we're going to have a big last supper, as if we have disciples when we don't, but we're going to have a big last supper and then we're going to go on a diet. It's just chicken and broccoli and we're going to do that till we get to our goal. And I think what you contend is those don't tend to be the projects that are the most successful. That's what the research says. And I think that's what most people have experienced. I'm a believer in, in New Year's resolutions if they're set appropriately, but so many people set up their goals they're trying to change their life. And, and when they fail on that unrealistic goal, it reduces their self-confidence, right? And that creates a negative cycle of, in psychology, they call it the learned helplessness cycle. 
And it's basically the, you just basically trip end up feeling like fear-based, reactive. I don't have the confidence, which makes me depressed, which makes me doubt myself more, which makes me have lower motivation. I knew this wouldn't work. I knew that I couldn't do this. Oh, I, or I'm terrible. I suck for not being able to do it right, right? 100%. 100%. That alludes to two problems. Number one is that they set goals that are impossible. And that net negative effect is the problem number two is it reduces their self-confidence. And that's a killer. So that's why I want people to stop making, I want you to dream big, but I want you to focus small and set goals that will make that you can actually do, right? And then when you do that, it's like you get to check a box, and, you know, Mary, you love to check the box, do don't you? I love to check the box. <laughs> I do. It's a satisfying feeling. <laughs> I remember talking with you at another time, and you said sometimes you'll even make a box to check it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something that's already done, but I didn't have it on a list. I will write it down, check it off just to – and that does help with momentum, as it turns out. Yeah, Mary, and that's one of the things I like about you, and that's why you're one of my peak performers is because – when people are doing this more with less paradox, they're always trying to accomplish more and they never really think about how accomplished they are or what they've accomplished. And that leads you into this thing of you've never done enough. And then that energy bleeds into your personal life, which sabotages your personal, emotional, physical regeneration, which makes you tired the next day. And it just, it builds on itself. So we want to build better momentum. Well, and I would imagine that that is more of a challenge for high achievers because we're, those people, I won't include myself in the group, but those people tend to just sort of push, 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 push. And then so you can end up with this procrastination because you're going to have this big, perfect plan. You're going to have all the boxes written out, right? And it's just going to be this whole life makeover. But then, yeah, you just start heading down the emotional scale as you don't get your wins. So it sounds like if instead of kind of doing that rinse and repeat and failing process, more like should people plan for like a 1% change an almost imperceptible change and not expect the moon to result from that, but gear up from there? Or what do you think people should do? Yeah. So like I mentioned, you know, so like for me, if people are trying to change more than one thing at a time, it's setting them up for failure. At least it's going to feel a lot harder than it should because, okay, let me give you this one research study. It's super cool. This illustrates it perfectly. So this one group of researchers brought in 125 adults. They said, we don't want you to change anything in your life except this one thing. Over the next four weeks, change nothing except this one thing. And this one thing is we just want you to go out and walk for 15 minutes three times a week change nothing else. So they came back after four weeks and you see they tested their motivation before they started. So they tested how motivated they were to save money, to be productive, to drink and smoke and all those different aspects, right? And they measured their motivation and then they made them do this one small change and they came back and the people that did the one change and didn't change anything else reported significantly higher motivation to save money, eat healthier. Ex- I mean, not that all the exercise was already there, but to exercise more. They wanted to do more. And, and it's just like even their ability to regulate their emotions was far better. So I'm a huge believer in changing one thing at a time. Some people will say, well, Andy, listen, I mean, I got, it, I got all this going on. I said, okay, yes. So you may have several goals, several changes that you're having to manage, but make one of them your no matter what goal. 
And when, no matter what, at two weeks, four weeks, I will do this. And that's different. And it, to do something like walking three times a week for 15 minutes or writing out your to-do list the night before you go to the next day, I think a lot of those ideas will help if you make them more reasonable, doable, so that when you check that box, it motivates you to want to check other boxes. I think that's awesome. And I think that a lot of people will be surprised to hear what I think you're saying, which is motivation comes after just a little bit of doing. As I think people have that equation backwards. They think, once I feel motivated, then I will be able to do X, Y, or Z, or all of the alphabet. But you're saying if you just do T, you're going to <laughs> increase your motivation a lot greater than you would think. 100%. So yeah, the more you accomplish, the more you want to accomplish. The less you think you accomplish, the harder it is to be motivated. So many people finish the workday and even though they've worked hard and accomplished many things, they didn't accomplish everything or they feel like they didn't accomplish anything. And that's an unnecessary negative emotional trigger that follows you into your personal life. Another thing that you talk about in the book that I'd really like to explore is the concept of junk hours. Let's start with what do you mean by them? And then let's talk about how we can tame those bad boys a little bit. Yeah, about 10 years ago, I was going through this work-life balance forum for one of my clients, a big, huge IT company or technology company. And I was looking through all the comments to get an idea of what their work-life balance challenges are and what their culture is like. And this one guy was making a request to HR that they put a washer and dryer in the break area. <laughs> and because he literally wanted to sometimes sleep at work. Oh, my. And I was thinking to myself, this guy really needs some help because he is under the assumption that he is like a robot. He can work 24 hours a day. Here's what happens. Even the most dedicated, resilient, hardworking, biggest capacity, most energy, those people are still going to hit the wall. And not just the big hit the wall, you know, like burnout and emotional breakdown. I'm talking about like the daily hit the wall when your energy just tanks and your focus tanks, and your creativity tanks, and all of a sudden you start making more mistakes, and it's just like everybody has that moment. And how long you can be in your most productive state in one day depends on how well you regenerated yourself the day before. That determines your capacity the next day. So I'm a big believer in really setting some, if you want, this is this takes a leap of faith for most people because they're thinking, you know, I don't know, Andy, I, I need, I've got to get this done. I need to do it. And sometimes you should, but sometimes to reach your goals faster, you need to better manage your emotional and physical and mental energy and know when that this hour that you worked could have been better spent recharging yourself. It's a matter of identifying what gives you energy or what gives you energy to a certain point. And then at some point it begins to deplete you or you become to get depleted. And then it sounds like it just sort of spirals downhill from there. Yeah. So junk hours are essentially that whenever you have reached a certain level of mental or physical fatigue, it's hard to make decisions. It's hard to solve problems. It's hard to stay focused. Those are the junk hours. Okay, so that old thing of just push through, keep going, keep going, 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 like you're in college cramming for finals. You're saying, yeah, no, not so much. It's not best for productivity. When you feel yourself starting to really flag like that, step away, 
find something that does rejuvenate you and tomorrow that's actually going to make tomorrow better as opposed to pulling an all-nighter and maybe not having such a good product come out. Yeah. I mean, sometimes still you have to pull an all-nighter. That's the realities of life, but you don't want to, you don't want to pull, you don't want to be cramming every day. And I know that's what a lot of people feel like and are doing because they want to meet their responsibilities. I really empathize and understand, and I fall victim to that same issue, but <laughs> this is a funny one. Recent, Mary, I was doing some research review on the effects of stress, and I came across this World Health Organization statistic that's recent. And it said that people that average over, I think it was 53 hours of work a week, the people that average over that have a 17% chance of early death. Oh, my gosh. And so I was like, that really shows the importance of my work, right? Because I want to help people become more productive in less time and, and more physically and mentally, emotionally resilient. And so I, my wife, I was like, Naomi, come in here. 35%, you know, they're going to die. And she, then she looked at me and she goes, you're going to die. Oh, oh, hello, pot. Hello, calling. <laughs> exactly, Mary. It took me a second. I was sitting there looking stunned. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so I was at a time when I was really pushing several deadlines. And I was working over 53 hours a week. And man, that was a wake-up call. So I just think that you have to take the leap of faith and know that if you let yourself recharge, have fun, connect, physical movement, eat stuff that's good, all of a sudden tomorrow your rate of productivity will be so much better and you will reach your goals faster. Well, and that's part of the reason I feel like this is such a timely discussion and we really wanted to have you as a guest because I think the pandemic has culturally brought this conversation more to a fore where it was not before. You know, before I work in the tech industry and it's true in the title and settlement industry too that the more hours you work, the more you cranked out, the more you sacrificed sort of, and it was pervasive in culture that the more you were valued, the more you were looked up to, that was prestige, baby. And it didn't matter if you had to literally limp home or the relationships <laughs> that fell by the wayside. You know, I'm an old settlement agent and we joke that we have the divorce papers to prove that we were a good settlement agent. I mean, <laughs> and I think that, Culturally, right now, we're probably more ready for this conversation as pandemic kind of forced people to realize there's more to life. And not only is there more to life because you couldn't go, go, go all the time. Also, you could not get together with friends. All the things that you thought you were just rejecting for a little while while you meet this deadline or do this things, And you realize once that's taken away, hey, this really is important to me. So I'm guessing you're seeing some renewed questions about now that we really do understand what's important how do we make it all work in a different way than we talked about before? Are you seeing the beginnings of that sort of change going on? Yeah, well, human beings, we're people of rhythm, of patterns, and we will adapt. Most people don't have any idea how adaptable they really are. I mean, when people are pushed, they can adapt to almost anything. It's unbelievable how adaptable every single person is. That doesn't right? make it good, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. You can easily, it's more easy to adapt to a negative pattern. <laughs> but here's the thing, though. 
we fall into this pattern of whenever you get really busy before the pandemic, you get really busy. You stop seeing your friends and family as much and you meet your project goal. And then you get to take a breath and you think, you know what? I was able to accomplish all that. And I'm really no, not too worse for wear, but what's happened is under the surface, there's been some eroding that's happened that it's at your emotional core. And at some point in the future, you're going to be like, man, what is wrong with me? Why am I so tired? Why am I so negative? Why am I not doing what I know I should? And that can probably be traced back to a lack of emotional connection and rejuvenation. And for example, in the pandemic, we have uh, been socially and worse emotionally distanced. And when that happens, it's a lot of what you're feeling is under the surface yet still. I'll give you a quick analogy. So back in college, I played college football. And at the end of the offseason, we always did this big test, right? Maximum bench press, maximum squat, right? So at that time, I was the fittest I've ever been. I could squat 452, 50-something pounds. I forget what the number was. But then I go home. And then like four days later after I go home, I lean down to pet my dog and my back goes out. Right. So the damage that was done before showed up then. And I think that happens to us all the time with our motivation and, and feelings of happiness. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. That's so important. There is a little lag there. And then that, in trying to untangle all that, you tend to look to what came immediately before I bent down and pet the dog instead of you might need to be looking over weeks or even months back. Right. Yeah. So if you ever catch yourself being short with someone and then like a moment later, you're like, God, why, why did I say that? Why was I like that? It usually isn't because of what happened right before. It's usually because of your energy and state have been eroded a bit. Yeah. You've been playing a shell game with yourself and you didn't realize it. And then, <laughs> boink! <laughs> Great analogy. Will you talk about a concept called big box time management? And I think it has to do with boxes. We've talked about how much we love a checklist, but big box time management is a kind of an interesting twist on that. So walk people through, if you would, what that concept is. Yeah. So that stemmed from a situation to where whenever a publisher called me to write a book, it was a dream of mine. I was like, yes, I will do it. They said, but we need it in four months and we need 50,000 words. And I was like, oh my gosh. And then my sister-in-law's family had to move in with us. And so then it was just like total chaos in my house. I had to give up my office and I had my, it was the busiest time of the year for me as a speaker too in the fall. And so like, how am I going to do this? And I remember lying in bed for the first time in my life, not being able to go to sleep because I'm the kind of person when I stop moving, I fall asleep. My wife, the opposite, right? It really takes her a long time to get to sleep. And if she wakes up, it's tough to go back to sleep, right? So I'm laying there with my eyes open thinking I cannot go to sleep because my brain is spinning so fast in the background. And so I thought to myself, why is that? And so I tracked it back to, I just had so much going on. I was afraid of missing deadlines of producing a, pro a book that wasn't any good. And you can't do that because they're around forever. And so I found myself feeling overwhelmed. And so I thought, how can I manage this? I figured out a way to ask yourself a very important question. Because most people, they'll ask a time management or productivity expert, how can I accomplish more? And that's a good question unless that person is already a bit overloaded. A much better question to ask people or ask yourself is, is, what can I do today that will make me feel accomplished? Oh, that's a much better question. Yeah. 
And it's a much more motivating question. Yeah. And that question helps you leave work at work. And it helps you relax when you get home. And it will make you give yourself more credit for the things that you've actually done. Okay. And so I started thinking about that. You know, I often speak about work-life balance. So I'm thinking, what's a good work-life balance way to think about this? Because at the time I had young kids and my wife and everything. And so I thought, okay, if I do these things today, I can relax tonight is the way I framed it at that time. And so for me, it was five boxes. The box one was I mean, I'm a writer, so I had to write. So I sat on an uninterrupted, I did time blocking, an uninterrupted time block for writing. And then I'm a businessman, so I need to reach out to organizations and and to tell them how I can help them at their meetings, right? And so I had to reach out time. And then I have to, if I don't exercise, I'm a cranky jerk and I don't like that. So I have to block an exercise time. And I usually did that, you know, so my writing block is when I wake up six or seven, then my reach out block was from nine to 11, because that's the research shows is the most productive time to reach out to people. And then exercise for me is usually around lunchtime. And then after that, I was just like basically doing all my business stuff. And then after work, I have two more boxes to check in my mind. And that's with my little kiddos and my wife. And so... I thought to myself, what's the minimum thing that I could do to satisfy that box, to connect with them? And so I just asked them, which was an interesting, because I I used to take them out on this daddy-daughter date night thing, and I would let them take me out to their favorite restaurant and pay, which with my money, and we'd, we'd go to a movie and they'd pay. It was super fun. And so when I asked them, what's your favorite thing to do with daddy, I expected it to be that. But what they really said was, it's when you play like a monster at the park or or jump on the trampoline with us. And I was like, dang, if you want to know, ask. And that doesn't even cost money. So yes. In my mind, I thought, how can I satisfy that connection with my kiddos? The minimum, and I'll do more than the minimum whenever possible, but the minimum. So if I spent five minutes jumping on the trampoline or playing like a monster, I could at least for the short term, check that box. Isn't that amazing that you thought it was a three-hour construct of what they wanted, what what you would need to fulfill with them to feel good about your accomplishments the end of the day? They said, no, really, just play monster in the park or jump on the trampoline with us. You can do. Yeah. Yeah. It was enlightening, you know, and just as a bonus tip for everybody, Mary, some of the new stuff I'm working on, researchers oftentimes have asked workers, what's the most stressful aspect of their job? And that's a very important question because it's not like psychology people like me thinking, I think we know what the most stressful thing is. They just ask people. And this one group asked 90,000 employees. There's four possible answers. What causes you the most stress at work? Number one, not enough money. They're not getting compensated enough. Number two, the culture of the organization is not good for me. Three, my relationship with my manager is not good. Or four, I don't have clear expectations. And in some situations, each one of those answers are going to be correct. But the number one answer overall was the most stressful thing for people was unclear job expectations. I think most managers would find that very shocking. Because if you think about it, if you have an employee who's trying to go the extra mile and they work on this, they take initiative, take this project on, they bring it to you successfully, and you go, that's not what I want you to do. 
mm-hmm. right? Or mm-hmm. if they do what they think they should be doing and they get in trouble for it or get reprimanded, that's like it's incredibly demotivating, incredibly mm-hmm. stressful. Yeah, yeah, indeed. My favorite thing is that most people think they know that their people know they are not correct. Ask your people, yeah. what do you think the win is for you in this project or this role or at this time? If you did this, do you, what do you think would be the win in my eyes? And to clarify that, I think it can probably be one of the most productive and morale boosting things possible. In most cases, I think it's going to for lack of a better phrase, lower the bar of expectation for everybody, which sort of gets everybody off this hamster wheel of, I think I need to be the most splendiferous, most awesome, most productive, work most hour, you know, whatever you think others want to define your success as. And what you're really saying is, hey, if we all just use our words a little bit better, (laughs) we could all not only meet (laughs) each other's expectations better, we would then know that we had met the other's expectations. And then we, we get to check a satisfaction box that Otherwise, we might just be perpetually chasing, never reaching that feeling. Yeah, and that's so true, Mary. And the way I think about it as well is this idea of the people who I help, people who are aspiring to be more successful, don't give themselves enough credit. Mm. Yeah, I think that is a common affliction, isn't it? Yeah, harder on themselves than is productive. And I've heard people take pride in that listen, you can't be any harder on me than I already am. Like, I'm just so busy flogging myself. Well, how are you ever going to feel motivated? How are you ever going to feel a sense of momentum, even if your activities add up to good achievement, good momentum? If you don't ever feel like you're there, then what's the point? That goes with the idea of bragging about how many hours you work. Yeah. Yeah. It puts you in a position to where you're not able to celebrate your successes, And that is a real problem in today's world because there's always more to do. There's always more notifications on your phone. There's always more, more, more. And if you don't celebrate what you accomplish, then you're eventually going to hit the wall. Yeah. And I don't want you to hit the wall. I don't want to hit the wall. Right. The wall hurts. The wall hurts. (laughs) And it sabotages your success. It's not necessary. So... You know, a couple of suggestions I give people on this topic of giving themselves credit is like that big box time management thing. If you are able to, like when I finish the day during that time, like my five big boxes are different now. I have different deadlines. I have different, my kids are older. I have different, in different goals. But then I was just so overloaded that if I could lie in bed at night and think to myself, did I write? Did I reach out? Did I exercise? Did I play? And did I connect with my wife? Then I was able to to take the... It was a good day. I could finally... It helped me. It triggered a relaxation effect and I was able to sleep. You've gone through the capital I important, in your case, five boxes and went, yeah, we got it. The rest of this stuff needs to happen, but it's not crucial. So body, brain, go to sleep. That's exactly right. I like how you said that. Capital I improvement. That's just like the big box, right? What are your capital I's for the day? So I'm telling you, this will revolutionize people's stress level and happiness level. As if before you leave work today, if you write on a piece of paper, what can I do tomorrow that will make me feel accomplished? And you are very conservative with that. You can always do more, but set the what the, if you just do this, you can relax. So save the planet shouldn't be the thing that makes you feel 
accomplishment tomorrow. You're a, <laughs> save Even a the clover. people who are trying to save the planet should make <laughs> yeah. that their daily goal. Because <laughs> you're not going to get that done in a day, right? And so you, right. you set yourself up for, for those of us who were kind of coming really into the workforce in the 80s. There was a whole mind mess that came with that, which was exactly that. Well, today we're going to change the world. Tomorrow we're going to change the universe. So that should be your goal. And if you fall short of it, you're going, well, I don't know how to make sense of any of this. I've fallen short again. But setting them super small like that, not falsely small, but what can you really derive satisfaction of? And you have to kind of step back and ask kind of your big whys, right? Why is it important for me to write every day? Well, because there's this deadline and this this goal. And, but going through that process, God, it just sounds like such a game changer for dispensing with such the mental clutter that turns into junk hours, by the way. Yeah, great connection. Great connection. And the way I think about it is if you said, okay, let me just say this. The research shows that stretch goals are the are make create the best productivity. Not impossible goals, but that just feel like it's going to be a real challenge for you. And I think you should set stretch goals in almost every situation except when you feel overloaded. When you feel overloaded, you don't want to set more stretch goals. You want to set goals. You want to take your goals back to a day-to-day -day basis. What can I accomplish today that's going to make me feel solid, like on top of it, or just at least decent? And that way I can check, physically check those boxes. And at the end of the day, I can see that progress and that'll trigger you to leave work at work. I think it's an important differentiation because people are always saying, you know, like for instance, in the tech world where you come from several years ago, a big thing were BHAGs, <laughs> big, hairy, audacious goals. Mm -hmm. The CEO would come out and go, we're going to BHAG this thing, man. We're going to go. <laughs> We're not only going to save the universe, we're going to save the entire galaxy. Yeah, right. Right? And By then, Tuesday. On Tuesday, yeah. Yeah. Right? And, I, and I'm like, I, I talked to one of those CEOs. I said, that's not your goal, man. That's your vision. The vision is one thing. That's where you're headed, but you have to step on these stepping stones to get there. And that's what I want people to start thinking about. They're change their day. Time management strategy is a to-do list that's focused on what can I do to feel accomplished. Again, I think this is such an important time because everybody knows they want to find their way back to themselves, whatever that means for each individual. But again, we're talking to an industry that's very burned out from the last two years of activities. Technology changes both at work and at home and demands on time. It feels like the whole world is speeding up. And so I keep hearing the same thing from a lot of people, which is, Oh, I'm just ready for everything to get back to normal. I'm just, I'm just ready for everything to get back to normal. But the world keeps feeling like it's spinning faster. I mean, we can talk with Ray Kurzweil about that, but is waiting to get back to normal really a thing or sounds like we need to put some of these practices in place to get to feeling and acting more like normal, but normal is not going to show up and knock on our door again. The world is a crazy adaptable place, right? It's always in flux. But there are people that have been working in the same job, doing the same before the pandemic for years of the same thing or very similar. And it may go back to that, but I really doubt it because technology is always pushing us forward, helping us along, I think, to challenge us to do things better, more efficiently, faster. And I think it also comes down to your changing day by day as well. 
and the people around you are changing, your customers or clients or loved ones are experiencing different things. So I'm doing a lot of research. My next primary book project is on the connection between resiliency and motivation in challenging times. One of my favorite ways to look at this is when you look at mental resiliency or sustained motivation, it comes down to oftentimes three thoughts. If you can instill these thoughts in your head and address them, I think, on a daily basis, like it could be a great mantra for you at the start of the day or whenever you feel tired, stressed, or overwhelmed, is the first thing is, are you committed to what you're doing or not? And when I say committed, it's not like just I promise to do this. To me, commitment and the resilient science, commitment is to look at the world as interesting and worth pursuing. And I think that's a wonderful thing, right? Because we, when you get overwhelmed, you start seeing the world as a threat or a pain in the backside, right? So every morning I'm trying to remind myself to see the world as interesting and worth pursuing, whatever I'm doing. All right. And the next piece is control. And most people think, oh, I'm not controlling. And that's not what I'm talking about. Or they say, focus on what you can control, which I totally believe. But that's not what I'm talking about. Control in this context of resiliency is, do you feel like if you put in effort, you can see results? Can you control progress? And if you don't feel like you can, that really sabotages your motivation and resiliency. So put yourself in positions to where you can make a difference. If you're, you can put in the work and you're most likely to see the positive results. And if you feel stuck right now and you're in a place where you don't feel like effort will pay off, then it's time to reevaluate if you're doing the right things at the right pull at the right location or at the right company or the right job. I mean, because it's crucial to feel in life that you can make a difference. And I tell you, Mary, this is a huge deal because did you know, two years ago, the Pew Institute surveyed a ton of U.S. working adults, and they found that 37% believe that success is a matter of luck. Mm. Just fall from the sky? Luck? More than one in three people believe that it's not about their work. It's just really about luck if you're successful. Well, we can just simmer down and wait for luck to rain down over us then. Yeah. And you can see how demotivating that mindset is. Well, then I'll just eat bonbons and wait for the luck to show up. Oh, and I get to be mad if it doesn't show up too, by the way, because oh, it's yeah. outside of my control. That entitlement piece is a challenging one too. Yeah. Yeah. So I believe that if you can, if you know people like that in your life, to point out to them how they've worked and seen progress in something can start to open their mind up to that possibility and to show other people and other examples because you want to, it's a gift to instill that belief that if they work at something, they can be successful at it. That's a great leadership tip. Yeah, that's a wonderful leadership tip of don't try to please me. Let's talk about you making accomplishments, marking off your boxes. Yeah, it just puts it in, in a more centered, achievable place in your life, I think, rather than out there. It's nebulous. It's someone else's desires that I'm never going to quite hit. That's kind of the shoulds, the curse of the shoulds. Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. That's to me, it's one, I think one of the biggest problems in the, in America right now is this belief that people don't feel like they can make a difference. And we know over and over and over and over again, I pity the fool that doesn't know the power of personal effort. It'll work. Okay. So the final one is this idea that when people struggle, 
when change happens, they look at it as a threat to their well-being or their work quality or their happiness level, or they look at it as a pain in the backside versus the people that look at change as a challenge that they can embrace, a challenge that this might be something if I go after this, I can learn, I can grow, I can maybe even be way better off. And it's just important to always shift your mindset towards to avoid fear of threat and pain in the backside and focus on, okay, well, what's the challenge here? Like, what's what's the problem to solve? And I know that seems really common sense. I'm trying to think of a way, a cooler way to say that. But it is one of the things that really separates people in stressful times. Well, and I think people tend to hear that concept and say, oh, I'm not built that way. I'm not one of these eager beaver go-getters that just, oh, sees change as opportunity. But I think people discount or don't understand their ability to coach their mind to that place because it's natural for the mind often to see change as a threat because we feel a comfort in our daily routine in being able to expect what's coming and and our brains kind of like that. So we we feel comfort in lack of change, but with a little bit of coaching in your own mind and, and being willing, I think is another key part of it. Be willing to be amused by what comes along today can really set about a chain of events mentally and emotionally that do actually support achievement. Oh, that's great. Well said, Mary. Well said. I'll give you an example. I mean, I often make a joke in my presentations that that I fall victim to the same bad patterns that everybody else does. But I also get to attend all my own presentations, <laughs> which is helpful, right? And so in that situation, when you're faced with a big challenge, something big happens, it can make your mind, psychologists call it cognitive distortion. It can distort your thinking into emphasizing things that aren't probably going to happen. And you see the negative versus the opportunity or the challenge, right? And so whenever the pandemic hit and the pandemic, it really affected a lot of organizations, a lot of people, a lot of industries that haven't really found many that didn't affect them as much as it did me because 97% of my income was from live in-person events. <laughs> so uh, definitely time to diversify. So after a week of crying in the corner, I decided, I was like, okay, so practice what you preach, speaker boy. And I thought, okay, so am I committed to this? 100% I'm committed to this and I, my business. And okay, I checked that box. I say, if you work at this, can you actually make progress? And I said, absolutely, I believe that. Check the box. I said, so are you looking at this change as a challenge or a threat? And I was definitely looking at it as a threat. And then I even got mad. It was like, this is a pain in my backside. I got to do all this different, right? And then I realized that's not the right approach. The right approach is to look at it. So, okay, so what is the problem? What is the challenge? How can I tackle this? And the moment I started journaling those ideas down, I could really feel the change inside of me happening. And instead, what I did is I learned about virtual presenting, I got. I built this whole technology studio. I've got a, a pro-level studio. And I tell you, it was very energizing to learn how to do those things because it was new. And even doing that, I was like, this is just going to, you know, so that I can present virtually and pay my bills. But as I got into it, I started to discover things that I truly enjoyed. And so I think that's what happens a lot of times whenever you face something and really get interested in it and find it as interesting and worth pursuing and you want to learn about it. And then all of a sudden you find that it makes you grow as a person. 
Yeah, that leaning in with curiosity instead of leaning back with outstretched hand, stay away from me, can make all the difference in the world. We would love to have you back to talk about that book when you finish it. You the absolute open invitation. I, you bring the theory, you bring the explanation to these concepts, but what I love the most is that you give practical advice. And there are so many of us that have been hearing for so long, do more with less, work-life balance. You need to, you know, you don't have it right yet, but no one really tells you how to make it right. And I love your practical guidance. I know that you're going to help people that are listening to this. And so we just, we thank you very much for being with us today and giving people the tips that you have shared with them of how to make their work and life better. Thank you for saying that. And it is what I believe. My work truly comes from a desire to help people. I look forward to it. And, you know, one of my the real benefits of doing what I do is I get to hang out and talk with really smart, cool people. So, Mary, thank you for spending time with me today. Thank you, Andy, for such great information. I know for sure you were in good service today for our audience, and we're grateful. Now, after hearing a little bit of Andy, if you want to hear more, Producer Cat has linked in today's show notes ways for you to reach him. There are all kinds of great resources there on his website. He has a newsletter you might want to subscribe to and a great video series, too. He hosts a Stay Motivated live stream every Friday at noon central on YouTube. And there is a Change Your Day email course. If your state LTA or another organization you work with is in need of a keynote speaker, I promise your audience will love his program. And you can find booking details on his site, too. His books are available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Thank you for listening today. We hope it gave you some ideas for injecting some renewed enthusiasm and intentional progress into your days. Remember, Time is going to pass anyway, so you might as well make at least a little progress on your goals each day. You don't have to dismantle everything old before you plant the seeds and nurture the steps toward creating something new. And always remember, you're worth the investment, because what you do really matters.